Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So to not have a job took the wind out of me and I was, I got very depressed. Hello, this is Christoph Triumph and you are listening to Varvet International. If you are a long-time listener, you might have noticed that the podcast has been on a break for some time. This is due to some personal issues. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. Now, however, I'm releasing all four of the interviews I had canned, so you can binge listen to all of them if you like. My guest in this episode is stand-up comedian Sarah Schaefer. Sarah grew up in Midlothian, Virginia. I hope I pronounced Midlothian right. When Sarah was 23 years old, she moved to New York City, where she started to work professionally with comedy. Since that, Sarah has been writing, producing, and performing comedy. You might have seen her in the show Nikki and Sarah live on MTV, or, for instance, in Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Well, enough talking. Here's the interview recorded in Los Angeles, where Sarah lives since a couple of years back. Roll the tape, please. How's your day? How's your day been so <laughs> it's far? It's been great so far. Yeah, is this Did early? Take me for a while. No, this. I get up really early. I get up at like five forty-five. Why? I like to run. Okay. And walk, but I don't like to do it when the sun is up high because it's too hot mm. and uh if i get up that early it hasn't come up over the mountains yet so i'm in the shade when i'm running so you do uh, run in canyon no i do i live in silver lake and there's a, a big reservoir and they have a running path all around it mm-hmm. yeah I run around there either once or twice depending on the day okay <laughs> how many laps did you do today today i did none okay. i decided to sleep in a little I was feeling very tired. I did not sleep well last night. I've been here for almost two weeks. Mm-hmm. Still jet lagged. Even just for me, if I go east coast yeah. to west coast, it, it's you never fully feel. Nor- I mean, it takes months. Yeah, to feel normal. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Are you on antidepressants? No. Since I started doing that, it fucked up everything. My family is sort of. They are like one week in. They're full normal. No, I could see that being, you know, for me, sleep is like essential to my life. And if it's being messed with in any way, I'm not a happy camper. No. Same here. What are you working on currently? I am shooting a pilot presentation for IFC, which is, I don't know if y'all have IFC, but it is comedy-centric at work here in the States, and I'm 
working on a show that's sort of in the realm of the Daily Show, a news satire program fronted by like an ensemble of women. Uh-huh. So, including me, that <laughs> I'm, sounds great. I'm the leader yeah. of the pack. <laughs> so that's what we're actually shooting it tomorrow and Friday. So we've been working on it for. I've been working on it for over a year, but we're now finally to the day where it's going to shoot something and then IFC decides if they want to pick it up to series and then hopefully they'll they'll love it. So far they've been inc- incredibly supportive. They they have a lot of shows that are really out there and they clearly let comedians just do what they do. Yeah. So when we were pitching this idea around to all the different networks there was some interest from other networks, but I, when I heard that IFC wanted to work with us, I was like, absolutely with them because they just, I know from their other programming that they're going to let me do what I want to do. And they have been very supportive. Yeah. yeah. Are you talking about uh, Comedy Bang Bang, for instance? Yes. Comedy yes. Bang Bang is one of their best shows. I mean, all their shows are great, but actually the director of Comedy Bang Bang is directing this um, uh-huh. presentation. So. He's bringing some of that. He's injecting a little bit of weirdness into it, which I love, and giving it a its own unique kind of feel, which I I'm excited about. What's his name? Stony Sharp. Okay. He's done. If you go to his website, you just Google his name because I don't think it's like StonySharp.com or anything. It's some other site, but he has all these clips on there and stuff he's done. And there he did a thing for Adult Swim on Cartoon Network, which is like live action cats and dogs. Like in a gangster, like, like almost like a Reservoir Dogs type show with, but with real dogs and cats. He's like shot like scenes with dogs and cats with machine guns. And like, it's so crazy. But if you look it up, it's really funny. It sounds great. I don't remember what it's called, though. All right. He's a cool guy. I was thinking walking here because you, you're not from here, right? No, I'm not from here. How LA are you? (laughs) Ha. I think I've fully embedded myself into L.A. culture immediately, but probably not the type of L.A. culture that most people think of when they think of L.A. Because we are probably, I thought L.A. was like, oh, it's just beautiful, vapid people, actresses, you know, the Hollywood, like, glam, everybody's drinking juices and eating kale and, like, that stuff is true. Yeah. That stereotype is true, but I, um, I, I bought a bottle of water yesterday for six dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good deal. It was, <laughs> it was alkaline. Or oh like well that. that's yeah. you know, I'm sure you're feeling really great today. I am. <laughs> but I have found that, you know, I guess it depends on the neighborhood you live in and the people you hang out with, but I have found the lifestyle here to fit really well with me. I grew up in Virginia on the East Coast, which is the suburbs, it's Southern culture and car culture. So, you know, everyone had cars, but you were driving to your Walmart and your mall and the fast food restaurants. And and that was the kind of upbringing I had. And then I lived in New York for like 13 years in New York City. And that was just such an extreme environment. And everything is difficult when you live there, you know, just to go get your laundry done, run an errand. You know, when you leave for the day, it's like you're going on a 10-mile mountain <laughs> mountain hiking trip. You're like, okay, I've got everything packed up and ready to go. And and it's just a, it's a harsh environment, New York City is. And it's, it was exciting, but I, after a while, I was just like, I'm tired. 
And when I moved here, I found that this L.A. is a very great cross between comfortable, laid-back suburban living with the urban culture, restaurants, art. The art scene here is amazing. Mm. You can live more comfortably. The apartment I have is almost triple the size of the apartment I had in Brooklyn. It has all the things I would want. I have a garden. You know, it's just a little bit, a little bit, it's a lot more comfortable. Mm. And um, I feel very creative here because I'm more comfortable. A few trips back, I, I, Mm -hmm. I stayed in... Silver Lake. I really liked it. Yeah, I love it. It's a good vibe. It's like, it's a cool neighborhood. And in in Brooklyn, in New York, where I lived, I could never afford to live in the cool neighborhood. I I had to live like two neighborhoods over. Yeah. Like in sort of a, I mean, Brooklyn is pretty cool overall, but. What was the goal sort of? Was it I think Williamsburg and Park Slope is the more older, you know, family type cool neighborhood. There's the cool neighborhoods, but I could never afford to live in those prime neighborhoods. So here it was like, I'm going to live in the cool neighborhood. (laughs) And I was able, got lucky on an apartment and it's been great. I mean, there's other challenges in LA. I I never thought I would say that the weather here can be very bleak in that, which I know bleak can mean a lot of things. And like somewhere that's rainy or cloudy all the time is its own type of bleak. But here it's like when it's the same every day, it's you tend to get I don't know. There's something depressing about that in a weird way. It's because you never have any change. And I'm someone who the seasons and, oh, is it going to rain today? That, that that creates spontaneity in my life and I have to adjust. And here it's like, well, I should probably bring my sunglasses. You yeah. know? <laughs> But you don't seem like a really a person that spends too much time in the sun. Oh, no. No, no I, I actually, um, when I moved here, I was so afraid. I, I'm very like... I don't want sunburn or I have sunburn right now. It's not, it's barely, I have like a triangle right here from the shirt. I don't like getting sun and I've always been very like hat. And when I go to the beach, I'll sit, I try to get a tent, (laughs) a whole tent that I can get underneath. (laughs) So when I moved here, I was like, well, it's the California sun. I have to protect myself. And I, I was like putting suntan lotion on every time I left the house and And um, I ended up getting a vitamin D deficiency. Oh, in LA. (laughs) In LA, yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) And I was like depressed. (laughs) So I was wondering, I mean, there's no no doctor told me that that's exactly what happened, but I know those things can be connected. I I, I could have had seasonal affective disorder in Southern California, which is crazy. Yeah. But um, the doctor was like, you can... You can have 15 minutes of sun a day. Like, don't worry. You're going to be okay. And yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> But, I mean, why go to the beach if you want to be in a tent? I saw tents all over Oh, yeah. They bring well, I don't go to the beach that much here because I'm spoiled. I'm from Virginia, and my family would go to the beaches in North Carolina. Are so amazing. Really soft sand. Not overly crowded. Clean. The waves are... It's perfect for swimming and it's not too rough the water is warm in the summer and we go every year and we started bringing down a tent because there were babies you know like my sisters and have babies and it was just easier to deal with them under some shade and so i was like oh i like it under here and i'm like i need a tent every time i go to the beach (laughs) okay yeah yeah. because you don't get too hot 
No. You can just, but I love the beat. I love the sound. I love the smells. I love the relaxation. Yeah. Pop open a beer at 9 a.m. <laughs> it's just that beach lifestyle, you know? <laughs> I actually wrote uh, sort of a joke about your background uh, here. I'm going to All right, gonna go say for it, it now. Yeah. <laughs> you are the first person I've met who's open about being from Virginia. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, Virginia is an interesting place. It's definitely, I mean, the part I'm from, some people don't think, because, you know, in America, the, the the Southern culture is very, it's, we make fun of it a lot. They deserve a lot of it, but there is a lot to love about it. And Virginia is on the Northern part of the South. Mm. And some people will go, oh, you're from Virginia. That's not really Southern. And I don't have much of a Southern accent, but... And I'll say, well, where I was from in Virginia, it was pretty Southern. We had a, I was Southern Baptist, a hardcore Christian upbringing. And I had those pieces of that culture in me. But, um, but yeah, there's definitely some stuff from our past that we probably should deal with. <laughs> yeah. Is it even okay to use the term redneck? Yeah, uh, it's okay with me. Yeah. Um, redneck But- is, I guess... <laughs> It's a jovial term in some ways, like, oh, look at that redneck. But then it can also imply some darker things like racist or ignorant or stupid, and people get sensitive about that. But That being said, would you say that Virginia is sort of a redneck state? A little bit, yeah, parts of it for sure. The northern part of Virginia is Washington, D.C., and it's much more worldly because you know the world comes there you know there's diplomats and there's politics and so it doesn't have much uh, that much of a southern culture but i was from richmond which is was the capital of the american confederacy and it was definitely a hotbed of redneck activity for many many years (laughs) but um the weird thing is is because i've met rednecks like that fit that description from all over the united states you know My boyfriend is from Washington, Spokane, Washington, on the West Coast in Idaho, and like that is very rednecky. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. like they're some real characters up there. <laughs> like, I think I don't know what I want you to describe what a redneck looks like. I'm not sure. You know, I haven't traveled that much in the U.S., so it's when yeah. when, I, when I think rednecks, I think like. Yeah. It's like yeah. Uh, yeah. Missing some teeth. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, like the some, it's, probably wearing some uh, a sweatshirt with some deer on it or uh, perhaps oh, a, a oh. southern uh, what's Confederate that? flag. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There, there's yeah, there's there's that kind of redneck. I think, you know, there's if you're ever in America and you want to see a redneck, just go to a Walmart okay. in any city yeah. and you'll find some there. Right. <laughs> I was at Target yesterday. Is that sort of the thinking man's Walmart? <laughs> yes, it is. It's okay. the thinking man's Walmart. And well, that's one of the things I love about now not, not living in New York City because Target in New York City was a war zone. Okay. I mean, because okay. people were starved of that kind of shopping. And so when you went to Target, it was nothing was on the shelves. The lines were crazy. People are like foaming at the mouth, like <laughs> trying to get stuff. And it was just craziness. Whereas here you go into a Target and it's organized. It's cool. It's clean. There's no one in line. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. When will you know about the uh, the pilot? I don't know exactly. We have to, you know, once we shoot it, then we, we're going to be doing an editing for a few weeks at least. And then we turn it in probably early, mid-September. 
And hopefully they won't take very long to make a decision. But just from past experience, I know that that can take months. I don't know how it all works. Each network is different. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, we're going to get back to you in a week. And then six months later, you're like, hello, can I get on with my life? You yeah. know, There's a lot of unknowns in this business. And every time I'll, I'll joke, I'll be like, oh, it'll be 2016 before I'm before I hear about that. And it'll, that's really happening. Like mm. there, are, I always joke about it. And now I'm getting even, I have to keep making that joke longer. Like, oh, it'll be 2020 before I, before I know about that one thing. And then that way I know there's no way that's going to happen. But I keep getting proven wrong. I hate to say it, but I'm in the same position in Sweden. Yeah. yeah. And it's even, I mean, here, the networks have some competition here. That's not the case really in Sweden. Right. So there are like, Two channels or two Is networks. it similar to how BBC in the UK, they've got a very Pro- concentrated... Yeah, probably, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the government sort of... Yeah. yeah the, with, that's, Goddamn socialists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very strong. I love it. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Who's I'm your, probably a socialist. Who's your 2016 president? Oh, you know, I don't know. It's really... I've been a little disappointed on the Democratic side that there haven't been more people okay. coming, you know, trying to make a bid for it. Um, Why is not Bernie Sanders your man? He might be. I'm wait, I'm going to wait and see how it, I want to see them and I want to see Hillary and him debate. I want to see them go head to head. Also part of me really just wants a woman to be president. That would be So super. I'm that's going to be something that I it's going to influence me and I know some people are like, "Well, what if she's not the best candidate?" And it's like, "Do we really know <laughs> until they're in there? Do we really know?" <laughs> like but she also has, she does have a lot of experience with foreign diplomacy and she's been in that biz for a long time. And some people think that's a bad thing. But part of me is like, she knows Washington. But someone said that she's a little bit too in cahoots with uh, sort of the yes. bank or... Yeah, when, you're, when you've been in Washington that long, I mean, I can't imagine... The shady dealings going on. I mean, you know, I don't know if she's doing things that are illegal, but, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back, that kind of stuff. I mean, it sucks because I'm, I think we Americans, a lot of us are just resigned to the fact that like corporations are running the show behind the scenes and the super PACs and, and all of these massive special interests that seem to control things that I think the majority of Americans like, our gun problem, for instance, you know, the majority of Americans, like, we need to do something. This is out of control. This, you know, we're upset about this, please. And there's a very small faction of a very powerful gun lobby that is making it so difficult to make a change. Yeah, That's a small group of people that have a lot of power. And that's the opposite of what the democracy is supposed to be. So it's, until it's, we can change that, and that you change that by, I mean, I get upset with people who go, oh, well, the voting doesn't matter. You'll hear a lot of Americans say that. No, voting doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, my vote doesn't make a difference. And I say, well, what election are you talking about? Presidential? No, yeah. Like, local elections are the most important thing you can do, because that's, that's at the bottom, and that's how it starts, you know? The people running for president started in local politics, and so when you put in p- good people local and you make good local policy that will eventually get to Washington. Yeah, of course. But I get upset when people are like, do you vote in local elections? And they're like, no. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) that's actually how you make a difference. Yeah. 
But, but it uh, takes work. It takes research. You have to, you know, that's, it's exhausting. I'm still figuring out how to vote in California. You know, I'm, I don't know the players. I don't know the issues. I'm, I don't know where to vote. You know, I'm like figuring out all of that. It takes, it, it's, it's not easy. It says like on your w- web page <laughs> uh, that you are currently living in LA. Yes. It, it feels like you're about to move. But are you about to move or it, does it feel like home? It's starting to feel like home, for sure. I definitely see myself staying here for a long time, but you never know. And I have another TV show in development right now, a scripted show that's based in New York. It would be set in New York. So okay. if we if that was to go forward, I've had this fantasy of like, oh, I'll just live in New York for three months of the year. And it'll be from September to December, my favorite time in New York. And then I've like already got it planned out in my head. And then I'll be in L.A. for the rest of the year. Like, I love the idea of being bi-coastal. Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also been uh, shot, uh, pilot being shot? Or? Not yet. We've written a script for it. It's based on my web series that I put out last year called work. Day Job. Day yeah, job, Work. <laughs> Close. But it's interesting. It's an interesting new world that I've, because I've done talk show type stuff and stand-up comedy type stuff. But I've never done a scripted show project before, and that world is new to me and been very exciting. And you know, I made that web series. I, I invested my own money to make it look really nice, and it did. I thought it turned out really well. And you know, just thinking it would be a calling card, a, a sort of like, hey, I can do scripted, or it's just a. This is just a to show you an impression of me on camera, not doing like yuckety yuckety. <laughs> like this is me doing something a little more. Subtle and sad, almost sad a little bit, and just different side of me. And thinking that that would just sort of open the door for something down the line, didn't not realizing that someone would see that and go, "Oh, that could be a TV show," and we want to work with you. And and a production company paid me to option the project and paid me to write a script with someone. And like I've recouped the money already on it and it may never even see the light of day it may never go anywhere but i'm like oh this is a business that like you can it's kind of weird you could make a living without anyone ever knowing who you are yeah <laughs> I, I i interviewed jeff garlin and he said that most of it because he's a quite wealthy man yeah and he says that most of it comes from pilots yeah really. things that never go anywhere exactly yeah And um, I was like, I need to start making some more web series. Yeah. This is great, great investment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put 10 grand in, get, you know, quadruple your money, get was, it back. Was that um, what you... Uh, I spent uh, on the on the web series, I spent $11,000. Oh, wow. That's um, impressive. We did a, when I was at MTV, Nikki, my co-host of the show that I had, we did a commercial for MTV. It was like a MTV branded commercial for Kia, the car company. Yeah. And they paid us money for that, and I used some of that money to make this web series. I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and reinvest that. Oh, wow. And it worked out. Fantastic. I made my money back. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> it's Hopefully a, it'll keep going. It's a very cool, I mean, you seem sort of like, because I was going to ask you about if you have reached your full potential. Oh, no. Exactly. I thought you would say that. Yeah. And what's in the way of achieving it? Me? I'm in the way. I, I've really, this past year has been a, a really, it has not been what I expected at all. I had the show on MTV, which was an incredible opportunity for me. I really, before that thought, I may never 
make it the way I want to make it. I, I, I'll be part of this business, but I'll never be on camera. I'll never have my own TV show, but I'll do, I'll be close. I'll write or I'll, you know, and I was excited about that. I was really okay with it, but circumstances led to getting this show on MTV and it felt like a miracle, but also I could see the steps I had taken and the choices I had made that led me to that and the work I'd put in that led me to that. But when it got canceled and I moved out to LA, I was, I had plans, you know, I'll sell another show or I'll get cast in a role in a show. And those things were very slow coming at first. And there was a year of really just sitting around and I'm a worker. I love jobs. I've had jobs my whole life. And so to not have a job was really took the wind out of me. And I was, I got very depressed and. And now I've been in therapy working on realizing I, I didn't realize I have like severe anxiety. I didn't even know that's what it was. Okay. I just thought I was in my head thinking all day and realizing, oh, I've, I've gotten myself in a f- whipped up into a frenzy just in here, in my brain. Nothing, just I'll see a tweet of somebody and, and just I'll suddenly be going down a rabbit hole of like, well, why? Why does she have that? Or why why didn't I get asked to do that? And, and then it becomes this whole distorted thinking nightmare. Yeah. And um, I've... Very fin- relatable. Yeah. Finally have been starting to dismantle that it's just a, a habit. It's just a bad habit that I have. And it's been really hard. Like right now I'm very stressed about this pilot for IFC. And I realized I'm deep into the distorted thinking right now like in a moment yesterday i was like i'm just i don't even know that i'm doing it but now i have the tools to recognize that i'm playing this game with myself in the, my head where i'm blowing things up into much bigger problems than they are you know in the moment that's what i've been learning is like you feel an emotion and just feel that emotion for what it is mm. i'm disappointed right now but it'll be okay instead of i'm disappointed and then the world is going to come everything is going to go wrong and then they're going to hate me and i'm going to be a loser and nobody likes me and i'm what is wrong with me and it becomes this huge thing when really it was just like oh i just was disappointed that they didn't like that one thing i wrote but it's okay because i can write something else <laughs> you know? yeah, and probably they liked everything else. Oh, 99%. Yeah. Of, and yeah, then exactly. they go like, this, this is amazing. Could you change this one thing? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Who do I think I am? Yeah, Everyone's going to laugh at me, but not in the way I want. <laughs> you know. So I've been really, um, to answer your question, sorry, that was a big digression, but I get in the way of my potential because I, I convinced myself that overly thinking about something was how I solved it. And like, oh, I've got to really analyze this thing and just stick on it for a long time in my brain. Realize, and then an hour has gone by, and I haven't written anything. And I've just been stirring up dirt in my head instead of actually. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Producing something and focusing on what I can create and my voice. And I think those are the things that hold me back. The moment I can break through those moments, because when I'm doing my best work is when I'm not thinking. And I'm just doing. Yeah. And I'm in the moment, having fun, feeling joy coming through me. And that's how it's the best. And so I want to learn how to channel that more easily and not get myself bogged down and worry. I heard you talk about transmedital. Trans, could you help me with this one? Trans, <laughs> Transcendental meditation. Thank you. <laughs> I heard you talk about that with Pete Holmes. Oh yeah. Have you tried it? No, I actually never cuz it's it's expensive. Okay. To learn how to do it. I think it's now like f- up to $1500. Oh wow. $2000 to learn it for like one week. It's crazy. That's um, fuck off expensive, but But I have learned not the that exact method, but I have learned meditation like principles and you know a lot of it is just breathing and clearing your mind and and my boyfriend does transcendental meditation okay and um, I was like well can you teach me and he goes no because you will learn what I have I guess you each person it's unique to them the way you do it Mm. and so he's like you will learn the way I do it which may not be best for you I interviewed David Kechner yesterday. Mm-hmm. He told me that he writes in the morning. He goes up really early, just like mm-hmm. you and I, and he writes 750 words. Sort of That's manageable. And I didn't really understand. It felt like he he has to get to 750. <laughs> and so he sort of r- perhaps writes the same word over and over again <laughs> at, at the end. But that's okay because then he will sort of have a task of what to do in the day or something like that. It's almost like it jump starts your brain to be like, okay, now you're through the initial. Because sometimes for me, writing is just so hard to start. Yes. And that's what writer's block is for me, just to start. But once you start, it flows. And it's like in the beginning, it's like pushing through. That's what it feels like. Like I'm just trying to push through something very thick. And it's hard. And then once you break through, then it's like flowing, free flowing, and you're on a roll. And then, oh, four hours. I, w- I only wanted to write for, th- I'll tell myself, you, you, 30 minutes. You have to write for 30 minutes. And then I'll look up and it's been two hours. Yeah. And it works. But um, I oftentimes have to go somewhere different. I have to change my physical location to start that process. So I'll go to a coffee shop. And I could be doing it at home, but. It's just that I came here yeah. for a purpose, and I'm not going to sit here and just stare at the wall. I, I'm, I'm here, and it, there's a limited time that I'm going to be here, and I need to make it worth it. I heard about some, like a French author or philosopher or something, who actually, like in the 1900s, he he took on his coat and and his uh, hat and his. What do you call it? Uh, um, uh, he took mm-hmm. his like cane or umbrella, mm-hmm. and he walked around the block, and then he came in, and then he started yeah. working. 
Yeah, the, that's been a big thing I've learned in therapy is when I start going down the drain, that's what it, to me it feels like. I'm going down a drain of negative thinking. Sometimes I will just go and just so that the tra- like that the thought stops. Yeah. And then it helps to get up and move and get different. She was telling me like just a different smell. Like if I go outside and smell a different smell, it's like a a new experience in my brain and I'm not on that negative thinking anymore. How is that the reservoir running? Uh, oh, I it's mean, been everything. Yeah. I mean, I started since moving to LA, I've been I've been into running for a few years now and done different races, half marathon, 5Ks, 10Ks, whatever. I'm not very fast and not very athletic, but it's just I like it cuz it's just me against me. There's no competition. I don't ha- I'm not letting anyone down if I don't run fast, you know. So I've always I've really gotten into it, but LA has been challenging because of the heat. I just don't like running when it's hot and it's hot here most of the year during the day and I was yeah. just trying to figure out how to make it work for me. So finally starting about two months ago, I just st- made a commitment to get up before the sun came up and be ready to run as soon as the sunrise is happening. And um something unexpected happened because I just thought it was just gonna be just so I could get my exercise in. But that early in the morning, it's the world hasn't started yet. I mean, East Coast has started, but I have to kind of stay off my phone a little bit. But in L.A., the world hasn't started yet, and there's very few people out there. And I've realized I have to change my path because no one has run there yet, and I get spiders, spider webs all over me. Uh-huh. And so yeah. I'm like, I just can't. It just freaks me out, so I had to go a different way or whatever. But um, to be out there so early, it was like... Because the world hadn't started yet, neither did the brain, my brain. And so it's like I'm just very clear, and I just have a moment, uh, an hour, where I'm not obsessing over something. And I'm, and it's just, it has changed my whole day. And the days that I, like today, I did not do that. I, and I already feel a little, like, heavy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand, yeah. So, yeah, it's been great. I'm not going to say that I I can totally understand what you've gone through with that sort of trail of thoughts and Mm -hmm. so forth. But I had sort of problems with shame that Mm I I sort of tried to find stuff that I was ashamed of. And I had to go way, way back. I had Mm -hmm. to go like back to my teenage years when I shoplifted or whatever Mm -hmm. to to sort of really like go into that. But Mm -hmm. it's sort of a... I would say that it's sort of a sign of depression or something like that, mm-hmm. that I sort of dwell on that. And I went to a therapist and he said, well, if you do obsess with that kind of thinking, try this. Don't think about it. Yeah, that it's the myth of my thoughts control me. Yeah. And they mean something. Yeah. And she's like, it, it's a lie. They don't mean anything. Mine is getting obsessed with, there's like 10 distorted thinking patterns, and I do all of them. But one of the big ones for me is, Deciding if I'm good or bad and that debate. Well, I'm that person did something bad and I wouldn't do that. And that makes me good. Or, oh my God, I, 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 I didn't, I should apologize. I should apologize for that thing that I did. And I mean, it's just a minor, all this just minutia of life. And I'm, I'm turning it into the epic battle of good and evil in my, in my head. Yeah. And she's just like, you're both. Everybody yeah. is both. Mm. You're both good and bad. And you'll never find the answer. You will never figure out. If you're good or bad, it, it is a waste. <laughs> yeah. It is such a waste. And yeah. I, it, 
it's been amazing. She's a, it's a cognitive behavioral therapist. And yeah. so she's, she's more about not digging, but just understanding your thought processes and your habits. She just, just, just always talks about this is a behavior that you're doing. It's not who you are. It's just something that you've been engaging in and it's a habit you have. Do you think that has to do with it? Because you have sort of a Christian background, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Can that be part of it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I latched on to the good stuff, I think, in my religious experience and but was very upset by how there could be bad people in my church. You know, I was like, Well, what how is that possible? Like we're supposed to be good people and you know and I got very disillusioned after when I probably went to college and realized like it's just not as clear cut as I wanted I want things to be very black and white I want things to be yes or no good or bad and realized oh this is all very complicated and I can't make sense of it and I I thought I had answers and for me and I still am this way I'm It's just love. We just need to love each other. If you would just realize that you're lovable and I'm lovable and love is the answer. I'm very focused on like love and I get very sad. I still get very sad when there's just hateful people in the world just spewing hatred. And I'm just like, who hurt you? You know, like who made you hate the, you know, like love is such an easier tool. Like it's so, so much easier in my mind, but I guess it's not for some people. I also heard you talk about, also with Pete Holmes, uh, I heard you talk about relations. And I'm thinking, do you believe in, is this a word in English, but Mm. do you believe in twosomeness? What is that? I love that. I just like the sound of it already. (laughs) I found a better word, I think. Two-ness. Two-ness. Is that a Uh, word? No. Okay. Like soulmates? Yeah. That two people are supposed to... Meant to to be together. Exactly. No. I don't believe it. I think that's a lie, a little, maybe not a lie, but it's a a grandiose thing that we're taught, especially girls, are taught by movies and TV that there's the one, you know, you're going to find the one and then you're meant to be together. And all of this, I mean, I don't know how it is where you're from, but there's a, a, a huge focus on weddings and yeah. your wedding and And now it's gotten out of control. It's like, this viral video of a man proposing to his wife will melt your heart. You know, and it's like, everyone's trying to top each other. And it's like, we're more in love than you are. We're more meant to be together than you are. And I just think that that whole fairy tale thing really screwed me up. Because I thought at 19, I had met the one and didn't realize that like you change a lot in your 20s and maybe that person no longer is the one and that isn't something that we are taught could happen you're supposed to grow together and always be together no matter what because you are connected in the soul and it's like well that just didn't pan out for me and i'm with someone now that i don't want to break up with and I love him very much. And I do see us being together for a long time. We work really well together. But I'm also not obsessed with the idea that we can't not be together. You know, that we have to stay together no matter what happens. And it's like, you don't know what's going to happen in your life. You know, <laughs> like things change and circumstances change and your needs change. And it's interesting how that knowledge has actually made me better in a relationship. Mm. That knowing that this could end 
makes me try harder to make it count, you know, and to, I think when you, there's something about saying like, I do, and I'll be here forever, no matter what. It's like, well, then I'm just going to lay back and be a total asshole. Because <laughs> you can't leave me. And I've always thought that that's, you know, like, till death do us part. It's like, our, my only way out of this is if I die, well, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's, it's just one way of looking at it. But yeah, I think that when I was in marriage counseling and my marriage was falling apart, one of the things they said to us was, if you decide to break up, and you decide to get divorced, you will fall in love very quickly again. It will surprise you. And I mean, they were like, no holds barred. I mean, they were very blunt. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I like, got all excited. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that that was a sign. Like when you're like, oh, awesome. Okay, I'm going to go do that. And I didn't necessarily want to fall in love again. I just wanted to be free and single. Yeah. And it did. I, within a year and a half, I met my new boyfriend. So I think that it was, that's a harsh thing to hear if you've been someone who's believed in this myth of like, well, there's only one person and I have to, I'm going to find him. How, how did we find each other? Oh, wow. You know, when people make this big deal about it, it's like, well, because you went to college together and you were, you were near each other and then you, you saw each other. and <laughs> Yeah. But if you had gone to college somewhere else, you would have met someone there. It's not like that guy. It's like, not like you would have been alone forever. Because it feels like people, at least in Sweden, people born in the 80s and 90s, they sort of, I'm not sure that they're going to be even like faithful to each other. And I'm sort of mm -hmm. doing quote, unquote, yeah. Yeah, signs here. That perhaps open relations will be the way that's standard in the future. I'm not I sure. I don't know. I think that's a constant like, I wonder if every generation thinks that about the one but next the yeah. next one like oh they're they're going to be just a bunch of sluts you know like but it's like I don't know I feel like you know well I still... hope so for them in a way Yeah I mean I think my advice to anyone younger is to a young girl to a teenager is like live your life like don't settle for a while like make sure you meet lots of different people make sure you know what you want before you make some sort of grandiose commitment But sometimes you, I also know people that have been with, with their high school sweetheart forever and they're very happy and they're like clearly just really great together. And that works. They know who they are. And some people have a sort of like, I know who I am from very early on in their life and that can work for them. Who cares? Yeah. But I just would say also on the other swing end of it, like <laughs> speaking of swinging, don't necessarily think that you would have to be in an open relationship because i think there's some people who really will drive that like well that's what we're meant that's what we're meant to be because you know actually genetically speaking and evolution we you know we're supposed to want different partners and blah 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 we're animals and you know all this stuff and i hear that sometimes like well if that doesn't work for you though you don't have to be in a monogamous relationship with one i mean you don't have to be in an open relationship if you don't want one i've been in one and it didn't work for me so i don't think that's for me so i would just say to younger people like just try different things try that yeah see if it works for you i think those we'll see more people in open relationships but i think there'll be plenty of people who are like i didn't like that it was very weird yeah. <laughs> it sort of feels like the because uh, I, i we're basically the same age i'm not sure that you had that but we were sort of raised In the age where AIDS was sort yes. of like, yeah. if you fuck someone, you're going to die. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely was scared. I yeah. mean, when you add that, plus the amount of shame, I mean, I feel like Americans have so much whacked out shame over sex, but we're so, like, our advertising and our TV is just sex, sex, sex. But then we're like, oh, that's horrible. You had sex when you were a teenager? Like, you know, it's like really a messed up, like really screwed up double standard and yeah. message. And I think that like if we just would chill out about it a little, like in that fear of like, but we, there's so much pressure. I mean, I felt this as a teenager that if you have sex, you're a whore, but you better be cool. Like, be cool. Like, do that. Like, be a cool girl. Yeah. Like, the guys would make me like, you, ugh, you're such a prude. Like, you would get made fun of if you weren't sexual. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I didn't end up having sex until I was in college. Because yeah. it just, the whole thing made me very uncomfortable. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I ended up not having sex until the age of 18 because nobody wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great reason. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even want to kiss anybody until I, I mean, I was just like, so, like, ooh, get off. I was still like a little kid, like, ooh, get off of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gross. It just was, I wasn't ready. Did you have a, a middle class upbringing? Yeah. Well, I had a, a sort of weird, we were pretty wealthy Okay. at first. And then my dad yeah. got into all this financial trouble, and then we we weren't. We were we were more lower middle class, and but I've never been poor. Poor. My parents were very poor growing up, so I've heard stories from them, and just I think that the way they raised me, they made a lot of mistakes that I've now become incredibly afraid of making. So I'm that's part of my thing is like I'm not gonna be him. You know, it's like I get obsessed with that. What does that mean? I don't want to get too much into it, but my dad just made some very poor choices. Yeah. And he made selfish choices that didn't, you know, and even to this day, I don't think he understands fully how it affected us. Okay. And mm. and then I think he just, my parents were bad with money, but they were really adventurous, spontaneous people who believed we could do anything. And that is the good thing that I got from them, which is like, because I've driven myself into horrible debt. I've made horrible, horrible financial choices, but I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't have that sort of like risk. I come from risk takers yeah. and I'm a gambling person. I'm like, well, I'm just going to, I don't care. I'm going to, I need to look good. So I'm going to go buy a new outfit for this shoot tomorrow and nobody can say anything about it. <laughs> like, you know, so um, I think... I thrive on the big risk, the yeah. big reward. Yeah. And I failed many times, and that's very, very painful. But it's all worth it when you have one good thing happen. But are you still in debt? Oh, no. I'm not in debt anymore, thank God. Mm. I don't want to ever get back to that. That's my goal. I hope you succeed with that. <laughs> when did you first set foot on stage? A real stage? I mean, school stages, you know, school plays and talent shows and things like that but in church i would get up and do anything i could i would like i'm gonna write a poem about jesus mm -hmm. just anything i could do to be in front of a crowd of people with a microphone was yeah. like just a magnet i'm like well is there a microphone in here well i need that <laughs> but i didn't really do a big adult stage until i moved to new york city probably and did an, a show It took a long time to get the bravery to get up on a stage in New York City by myself. And I wrote, I was working in my day job, 
was a very boring financial job with lots of spreadsheets and numbers and math. And I wrote two songs. One was about my cubicle that I worked in, and one was about Excel spreadsheets. And I got up and I performed them, and I was so scared. I had dance moves planned. Like, I had a CD track playing, and I they were like dramatic songs. They were like power ballads about these things, like painful. Like, it was, <laughs> and it, that was part of the comedy of it. Did you write the music yourself? Yes, I wrote the music. I had a keyboard, and then I transferred that track to a CD because I can't play an instrument and sing at the same time. I get too nervous. So I had the track playing, and I had little dance moves playing, and I was so nervous that I was like shaking and my knees were buckling. So I had to hold on to the microphone stand to just keep myself up. And I did it and it went really well. And I was like, yes, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I don't even do music, musical comedy anymore at all, but that's what I was doing in the very beginning. And it, it helped because I didn't know how to just, I was too scared to just talk um, on stage. Did you ever get to use the moves? <laughs> no, I ended up realizing it was funnier if I was very serious yeah, yeah. about it. It was like a love-hate song about my cubicle. And then the Excel one was like a spoken word jazz piece. <laughs> I mean, it was very, I think back, it was like, that was funny. Yeah, uh, Those held up. <laughs> Because you, ma you also, you made a show of your own in New York somewhere, right? Yes, I did a little, after a while of just performing and I would host little shows here and there. I found that I was good at hosting because I didn't have to do as much actual comedy, but I could be on stage and get comfortable with that. And I started doing a show called Sarah Schaefer is Obsessed with You, which was like my own little talk show. But I did it, we had a cubicle on stage and it was like I was at work. That was the premise of it. I was at work doing a talk show. We had a little copy machine on the stage. And like, it was, it was cute. I, I mean, I'm like, A couple of years ago, I went back and watched some video. I have video, tons of video of it. Okay. And it made me cringe because yeah. I was like, oh, I, I wasn't as funny as I thought I was. But, the, but you could see the sparkle in there. You could see the, the drive and the passion and the creativity. And it makes me smile. Fantastic. Now. You have a great joke about tattoos on your album. Did you ever yeah. get the second one? Yeah, I you did. did. Okay. Yeah. So my original tattoo is a butterfly tramp stamp. Yeah, and that has to do with Jesus. You mm -hmm, have to listen yeah. to that if you haven't Yeah, it. listen to it. I explain the origins of that tattoo, and then I joke about how I, I didn't realize I was getting the most cliche tattoo, like the symbol of sluttiness. Like, I mean, it's a joke. Like, I don't actually believe that. But when I was in college and when I heard the phrase tramp stamp, I was horrified that I had one. Because I didn't think that what I had done was trampy at all. <laughs> And um, so my joke is that I, my second tattoo is quotation marks around the butterfly tramp stamp. So now it's ironic and it's a joke. And I was kidding. And I did get the quotation marks. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It I'm not going to show it. It is a podcast. I know, so you guys can't see it. No. But <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Your two podcasts, are they canceled or are they on hiatus? So I had podcasts with Nikki Glaser. You had to be there. That is sort of like dormant. I don't know. I'm sure we'll do something again someday, but we're just, um, she's busy on, she has a new show coming out on Comedy Central, which I'm sure is going to be amazing. And um, I'm busy on my stuff. And, you know, we just, part of it too, I think, is we talked about our lives so openly for so long. And by the end, we were like, we don't, 
have anything left. We, we should probably wait <laughs> and let some life experience build up. And I also felt kind of went through something where I'm like, I'm done oversharing for a little while. I'm like yeah. done telling everybody every mm-hmm. single thing about my life. So it's been a good time to just kind of keep things to myself for a little while. But the other one was the whole other, it was just a completely improvised podcast where everything that me and my guests say is a lie. So it's everything is made up. It's the opposite of oversharing. It was really funny. Thank you. Yeah. Where, I, where, where did you record it? That was with WNYC. So I did some of it in New York and some of it in LA. WNYC is um, the big New York public radio station. And we are currently figuring out what to do with it next. I'm developing another show for them, a different type of show. So I think we might either put lies on the back burner or read. I don't know what we'll, it's not over is what I stuff is happening around you. That's for sure. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to recommend something? Gosh, I feel like I've seen so many, there's just so many great comedians. I will recommend Tig Notaro who I know isn't, this isn't an original recommendation, but her documentary on Netflix called Tig is so mind-blowing. And I've only met her a couple times, and she just truly is like one of my favorite comedians. And I just love everything about her. And to see what she, her life, like for her to be open about her life in that way, and that documentary is just very inspiring. And she has a new special coming out, which I can't wait to see. And listener, if you want to, there's a, an episode of my podcast with Tignotaro. Yes. A year yeah. back or something like that. Yeah, I wish I could get, could recommend something secret. And I'm sure I'm going to leave here and think of 18 things right away. But yeah, oh, it was my brain great. is dead. <laughs> Who do you think I should interview? There's a really funny comedian, Rory Scovel. Yeah. He is amazing. And he's one of my best friends. He did my lies. Rory is um, just one of the has. He's someone who just has that raw talent that you wish you had, even like a thimble full of it. Oh, and Kate Berlant, that's someone I would recommend. I should have recommended her. But that's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for yes, your time. It's thank been you. Fantastic. Thank you. Sarah Schaefer. Oh, I liked her so much. And you can follow her on Twitter. Her name is Sarah Schaefer One. And uh, in this exact moment, uh, when the Clinton Trump race is climaxing, Sarah is extremely interesting to follow and funny. So please do that. And you can also follow Varvetpod on both Twitter and Instagram. This episode was edited by Lovisa Olsson and technical as well as editorial help came from the great Thomas Kulshage. My LA crew was 16 Mile Talent, and that's all for today. I'm Christopher Triumph saying thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.